0: Once
1: new point of view, let's pray. Lord, there are some times when we're just tired of the journey that we've been on, and we need to have a new point of view, a new perspective, a paradigm shift. Lord, I ask today that that could be true for us, that you would give to us a new point of view that we could look at reality through your eyes. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us. And Lord, as we gather in your name, Jesus, you said you would be among us. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I was driving on 95. I saw this beautiful white pickup truck, the double cab, pulling a trailer. The trailer was pulling a motorcycle. And on the back of the trailer, a Harley, by the way, it said, ride or die, ride or die. It was obvious what he was committed to. He was committed to the ride. And to have that ride, he had to buy a pickup truck to pull the trailer, to pull the motorcycle. And then he had to have the leather jacket. He had to have the helmet. He had to have the pants. He had to have the shoes. He had to have all the equipment to take care of his motorcycle. And I'm sure if I'd seen that motorcycle up close He would have had everything chromed. It would have been the pride of his life. And there probably would not have been a spot of dust on it. He was committed to what caused him to be interested. Other men are interested in making money. And so every moment of their lives is consumed with taking classes to gain better skills, with practicing their trade, and every every idea that man holds has a different set of rules that govern how to be successful in that specific area, whether it's making money, riding a Harley, kayaking, bicycling, traveling. We give ourselves to whatever the activity is that draws our hearts. If it's being thought well of, then we will do everything that is necessary for people to think well of us. Our energies go to what we love. And so when we come to Jesus Christ, there is only one foundation for you to build that beautiful structure of righteousness upon. Of course, that is Jesus. He's the foundation. But the first principle of that foundation in Jesus Christ is that you must be holy before you can live a holy life. Now, don't let that go by you quickly. You must be holy before you can live a holy life. That's the opposite of what most of us have been taught about the gospel. Most of us have been taught that you try to overcome your sin so that you can live a holy life in the hopes that you can be made holy. It doesn't work. It does not work. There has to come an understanding in our hearts that if we are going to that if we're going to be holy, we must live a holy life. But it's out of a life that's already transformed. The transformation must take place before we piecemeal attempt to be holy before God. If you attempt to put down a particular area of sin, let's call it lust, The word lust in the Greek is very interesting. It simply means a leaning toward what is darkness. Okay, That's lust. It's not just a sexual issue. It can be a money issue. It can be an acceptance issue. It can be anything that your heart is constantly leaning toward. And so you live your life and you recognize, uh uh-oh, I should not have that sexual lust in my life. I should not have that lust to be angry in my life. I should not have that lust to be the control taker in my life. I have to back away from that. And so as you back away from that, and you attempt to put that down in your life, you can successfully do that for a period of time. Two people who love each other, kept apart by their families, they will finally find a way to break out of their families and get to each other. You cannot keep love apart. Love will win in the human heart because that's the greatest desire we all possess is to love and be loved. And so this lust that you have put down in your heart this area of temptation that you have conquered will soon pop up again somewhere else. You may make it for a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month without walking back into that sin. But the day will come when it will rise up and it will sweep you away that lust will rise up and sweep you away again. And then you will be overcome with a sense of guilt and despair and say, how could I have done that? I'll never do it again until the next time. I'll never say that again Till the next time. I'll never have another drink until the next time. I'll never smoke again until the next time. Why? Because the heart is still wicked. The heart has not been transformed by the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ. And until the heart is transformed, these outward things will not fall off. They keep clinging to our heart and they keep coming after us. But when the heart is transformed, when the heart is changed, these things no longer matter. There's a hatred in our heart toward these things that we have loved. So the emphasis of our life is not to try to overcome our sin. The emphasis of our life has to be to lay down our life. And unfortunately, I wish we could do it one time, and it would be done. But as we go day after day, as we walk day after day, there comes increasingly slipping into our heart the temptation to take over our life again. And as soon as we begin to take over our life again, because we're discontented with what Jesus is not doing for us, and bitterness begins to rise in our hearts because of what Jesus is not doing for us. He's not delivering us the way he think we think he should deliver us. He's not giving to us the things we think Jesus should be giving to us. <clears throat> As one young man said, I've been walking now clean for six months. I have, I have done everything right for six months and God hasn't given me a wife yet. I don't think I'm going to walk with Jesus anymore. What he doesn't realize is that if Jesus had given him a wife, he'd be in a lot worse trouble than he is now. Because a wife doesn't make a man holy. A man has to be holy to have a wife. Or together they'll get into trouble. And he'll try to please her and not the Lord God of heaven. He'll try to make her life all that she wants. Even recognizing that his wife is lost and on her way to hell, that man will turn away from Jesus to try to make something happen with his wife and to keep her happy. We have to turn to Jesus and be transformed by the sanctifying power of the Spirit before we're safe to try to live a holy life. A holy life is a burdensome thing to a man who has not been sanctified. For a man who's been sanctified, a holy life is a pleasure. It brings great joy and happiness to his heart. The things of darkness are not attractive to him anymore. He's cast them off in the name of Jesus. But for a pagan man to try to live like a Christian, that's the height of torture. Agonizing. And so our choices and our decisions have to be very clearly made. That what we're choosing to do with our life is to give it fully into the hands of Jesus and recognize that all that I have must come from the hand of Jesus and Jesus alone. And to be content with what Jesus gives to me. To be content with what his plans are for me. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not real happy with some of Jesus' plans for me. They're painful plans. They're not plans that cause me to rejoice because they go against everything that is in the human heart. But when I fully look to Jesus Christ and I recognize that I have lost my life, that I am one in him, his joy begins to fill my heart. And I begin to say, Jesus, whatever your plans are, thank you. I want your plans. I no longer need the things of this world to keep me happy. I need you, Jesus, to keep me happy. So when we look in the book of Second, Second Corinthians, chapter 4, Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose hope, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. What does that look like? It looks like our bodies are beginning to break down as we get older. It looks like things don't function the way they used to function. I sit with a group of men almost every week from Emmanuel's Anglican Church. These men are all what I would call older men. I laugh at them and I tell them your social calendars are full, you're visiting your favorite person, your doctor. And the conversation is often around the organ transplant. Who's had the latest heart problems and who's had... I mean, that's just part of the reality of our social mix. Some people's social life centers around their friendly physician. Wasting away because of age. Some. Wasting away looks like every month going a little bit under water. Not being able to pay for what we need to pay for. Not being able to buy what we think we would like to buy. Not being able to provide all that we would like to provide. So we're wasting away. For some of us, It looks like friendships that aren't working because we're unwilling to compromise the gospel of Jesus. And it's called us to separate from people who constantly say things and do things that lead to darkness. We don't want to be yoked together with unbelievers. We want to be yoked together with those who are committed to living that holy life. And there's a breaking and a cutting that often begins to occur because we're going two different directions. One is going toward heaven, and one is going as fast as they can toward hell. And we try to catch them, and we try to call them to come and go with us to heaven. But when they absolutely refuse, there will come a time when there will be a breaking in relationship. And no longer will there be any sweet fellowship between us because the distance has become too great between us. One is going to heaven. One is chosen hell. It says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Always I get in trouble when I begin to look at the physical world and I begin to judge my success or failure based on what I see happening in the physical realm. Always I get in trouble when I take that position. You see, I still am naive enough to believe that if I work hard, I should be able to get ahead. If I work hard, I should prosper. Well, I've worked hard all my life. I've not prospered much in the world. This morning I was writing down the names of people that I know who have come to Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit moving his word in my life. I did this to encourage myself that when I came before the throne of God, if I did not make it into heaven, I could at least comfort myself that some did make it into heaven, that God could use even a donkey to accomplish his purposes. And then the Holy Spirit began saying to me, do you think if I used you to win the lost, I'm going to cast you out? I said, no, Lord, thank you. I know I don't deserve it. But thank you. It's your grace and it's your mercy, it's your kindness, it's your long-suffering. God has patience with us. I doubt if any of you need his patience very much, but I need it a lot. God is so patient and kind with me. But let's tell the other side as well. He's also tough as nails with me, and he doesn't let me get away with anything. And an infraction, a disobedience draws an immediate response from heaven, while an act of righteousness, not necessarily any response from heaven, but just disobey, and immediately discipline comes. But I'm grateful for this. It's not like I should be rewarded for following Jesus now. I'll get my reward on the other side. The discipline and the punishment comes to put my feet back on that narrow path. I'm not a little boy that needs to be patted on the head and said, there, there, you're a good boy. That'll come on the other side when he says, well done, thou good and faithful slave. That'll come when he girds himself to serve us at that great table. Right now it's being sanctified in our hearts being made holy in our hearts so that we can live a holy life. It says, For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Now, we know that if we, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because We are clothed, we are not found naked. For in this tent we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Any of you groaned this week with what was happening in your life? I did. I groaned. Because I want to be clothed in my heavenly temple. There isn't anything about this body I want to hang on to. I want to be clothed with my heavenly dwelling. Verse 5. This is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and the purpose is to be swallowed up by life, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. A day of accounting is coming. Coming very quickly. But I cannot perform the good things that God desires me to perform if in the very center of my being, my heart, has not been brought into crucifixion and death so that I belong to Jesus. We need to have a covenant service. And I'm in the process now of planning such a service for this church. We need to make a very clear covenant with Jesus about who we are and about who he is. We need to understand and make a covenant that we will totally turn our heart over to Jesus and that we will serve him alone. And we need to identify every area of our life where we are still in any manner still serving darkness with our heart. And we must ask Jesus to cut that off from us. Verse 14, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that once dead, that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all those who, li- who should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's a place where we have to begin to enter into a covenant with God that we will only live for Jesus Christ. We will not live for cigarettes. We will not live for alcohol. We will not live for sex. We will not live for pride. We will not live for success. We will not live for money. We will live only and solely for Jesus Christ. I'll be asking you soon to make this covenant at the National Prayer Chapel. So, verse 14. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What is the worldly point of view? What can I get out of it? We will no longer look at anything from a worldly point of view. We will lay down that point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, a man or a woman who has not had their heart transformed will still look at Jesus and say, What can I get out of him? And many will say, I will be a Christian because I get to go to heaven. I want heaven out of this deal. A man or woman who has totally given their heart over to Jesus Christ no longer looks at him. By saying, what can I get out of him? How happy will a marriage be if the woman looks at the man and says, I'm marrying him for what I can get out of him? Or the woman says, I'm marrying, or the man says, I'm marrying this woman for what I can get out of her. The marriage won't work. Soon they will discover they are not getting enough of what they want and they will cast that person away from them. We don't get married to get out of the other person what we want. We get married to give to that other person our love. Not to get something. Now, if each person is in the marriage for 100% of giving, it'll be a happy marriage. But if one's in it for 50% and the other's in it for 100%, it's going to be a miserable deal. In Jesus Christ, it's the same. If I'm in this for what I can get out of Jesus, I'm going to be miserable. And I'm going to make Jesus miserable with me. I have to be in this because I love him. 100%. And he loves me 100%. And I'm here to give him everything I am. And everything I have. And can I tell you a secret? He's here to give you everything he has. But that's not what we focus on. We focus on giving him everything. Therefore... Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's a new viewpoint. That's a new understanding. You see, there's so much human will, Christianity. Whereby the human will, we force ourselves into some kind of conformity to what we believe Jesus wants us to be. It doesn't work. Because then we'll also have other loves. We'll have other loves in the world, and we try also to conform to what they want from us. And so we're pulled in every direction, trying to conform to Jesus, trying to conform to to our wife, trying to conform to our husband, trying to conform to our boss, trying to conform to this club or that club or this. And suddenly we're splintered into a million different pieces and we're, we're shopping out part of ourselves here and there and everywhere until there's nothing of us left. And we say, wait a minute, there's no room in my life for me. No. Everything must be given to Jesus. And we don't farm out any part of our life or any part of our heart to anyone else, not even to a husband or a wife. A Christian marriage means that a man and a woman stand together side by side and Jesus stands between them. And they each give everything they have to Jesus. And as they give, Everything to Jesus, they become one. You have to give everything to Jesus. And then it pours out of Jesus into the lives of our wives or our husbands or other people who are around us. We no longer regard the, the one we love from a worldly point of view. We no longer are saying, what can I get? We're saying, what can I give? And so the people around us, a wife who is not a Christian, a husband who is not a Christian, we're not there to get out of them. We're there to give them Jesus Christ. Because we can't get to that husband or that wife without going through Jesus. Because we're in Jesus. And in Jesus means we have a new perspective on life. We don't view things the way we used to view them. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. In other words, we have a new relationship now. I don't know how to say this in a way that Properly reflects the reality. When we come to Jesus Christ, our life is over. And to the degree we still maintain our life, we are hostile toward Jesus. And the hostility toward Jesus is only removed. By dying, by giving up. It is a new relationship where I am totally in love with and given to my Lord Jesus. And I don't have any side lovers. I don't have a motorcycle love. I don't have a work love. I don't have a money love. I don't have any love but Jesus Christ. I don't have a Sally love or a Billy love. I have one love. My love is Jesus Christ. And that love in Jesus Christ is then directed into the life of others as Jesus sends me. It's sent into the life of a wife or a husband. It's sent into the life of my workmates that I spend time working with. It's sent into the lives of the people that I, that I meet in various places. But know that this love is flowing from my heart into Jesus. And in Jesus, it's being transformed into something that is living and powerful and beautiful. And it goes through Jesus to that other person, sanctified and made holy. Holy. So there's no selfishness in it. There's no anger in it. There's no accusation in it. There's no bitterness in it. That love from my heart that flows into my Lord and my Master then flows freely to other people in my family. Please understand that any love or any hate or any area of your heart or life that flows out of you and is not totally directed into Jesus Christ will be something that the Lord will have to come, as, his, as he said, my father is the, the vine dresser. That's foliage on your life that takes away from the productivity that God wants us to have, and so he will cut it off. And if we refuse to let him cut it off, it leads us into rebellion against Jesus. One person said to me, after listening on the radio for some time, they called me and they said, Pastor, I don't like the gospel you preach. I said, why? They said, because it's a lonely, lonely life. I said, no. It's only lonely if you try to live this life with an unholy heart. But if you live this life totally given into Jesus Christ, he dwells in you and the loneliness is gone. You walk with Jesus now, and now the love that you flow into Jesus immediately begins to flow into other people around you, and ministry begins, and lives begin to be transformed because the love of Jesus is flowing from my heart into Jesus' heart. It's being added to the love of Jesus, and it's flowing in a pure stream that transforms the lives of other people. The problem we have is we want our love to Jesus, and we want our love to our job and to our money and to the other lusts that are in our heart. When all of that foliage is cut off in John 15, And we are now totally given to Jesus, and he is the source of our life. Remember, he is the vine, we are the branches. So everything that we have in life is in Jesus. Our love flows to him, his love flows to us. We produce fruit as Jesus flows into us. Now notice, number three, we have a new job. We have a new occupation. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job. Some of you think your job is to create space for yourself so that you can be number one. Not your job. Your job is to be a reconciler and a peacemaker. Your job is to reconcile the world to Jesus. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. Now, please, let's go all the way back now. I spoke with a Christian this week who described their discontent with the church that they were in. I asked, what are the issues? And they began to lay out what the issues were. That the church was totally concerned about social activities. The church was totally concerned about having entertainment, skits, and movies, and concerts, and nothing is said about sin, and nothing is said about Jesus, basically. Oh, Jesus is taught as the wonderful Savior, but not as one who deals with sin. And I said to this person, wait, we have to stop. We have to go all the way back to the beginning. What happened to you in your life that your life was transformed by Jesus? And this person answered, I was at work one day. And suddenly, an understanding came into my mind that I was not living right with Jesus. That I was full of religion, but I wasn't living right with Jesus. I said, you just put your finger on the hot button. There will be no change in a person's life until they by the power of the Holy Spirit, are willing to recognize their sin. Nothing is changed in the life of a person until they acknowledge their sin. When we acknowledge our sin, Jesus can now begin to step in and change the heart. And when the heart is changed, the life will change. So you don't start with changing the life. You start with the heart. Of surrender. Of consecration. Of totally giving yourself to Jesus and recognizing you can't clean yourself up. Only he can clean you up. If you look carefully at the book of Romans, and I encourage you to read the first chapter of the book of Romans, you will discover Paul saying there is a righteousness that comes from another source other than the law. There's another amazing source of righteousness. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because this righteousness is coming from another place. And then he stops talking about that topic totally changes direction and begins to talk about how you're storing up wrath for yourself for the day of judgment because of your sin. And he continues that discussion then all through the second chapter of Romans, where he finally says, look, the law is to show you how utterly sinful you are. And when you finally recognize the wickedness of your heart, And you're willing to say, okay, Jesus, I give myself to you. I give up. Will you come in and give me a new heart? That's when the journey begins. So when we're talking about becoming reconcilers, you're not going to be able to talk to other people about the wonderful benefits of being a Christian. You're going to have to talk to them about the terrible effects in their life of their sin about how their tobacco is killing them. Or their alcohol is causing them to numb out the reality of God as he tries to deal with them by bringing the pain forth. You know what the word comfort means. It means to come forth with the pain. You comfort someone by helping them see the agony of their heart and not run from it. And it's at that point that that person then has the opportunity to say, okay, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. One great evangelist, we ask him the question, how do you witness to young people, how do you witness to college-age people He said, I ask them questions and I follow their answers to the logical conclusion until they're ready to commit suicide. And when they're ready to commit suicide, I offer them Jesus as a way out. Very wise. His name was Francis Schaeffer. Very wise. Why would a man in the swimming pool want me to come and dive in and pull him out and rescue him when he doesn't know he's drowning. I'd be charged with assault. But if that man knows that he's drowning and I pull him out, I'll be his friend forever. People have to know they're drowning before you can rescue them. Before you can talk about Jesus, they have to see their sin. And they have to hate their sin and say, Is there any way out for me? Yes, Jesus. Now you can be a reconciler. Nobody, nobody wants you to walk up to them and say, I know how much money's in your pocket. They're going to say, What business is that of yours? But if you just saw them lose their wallet to a pickpocket, And you say to them, you know, you don't have any money in your pocket. Yes, I do. Where's my wallet? See that man down there? He just took it. Let's go after him. Now you have a friend for life. We're called to be reconcilers. But we can't reconcile until there's something to reconcile. So Paul gives us these three steps. A new viewpoint, a new relationship. And a new occupation. I've been talking a lot about this deep work of plowing. I want to say this kindly without. Without any judgment or any condemnation. The reality is. At the National Prayer Chapel. Our hearts have not been plowed sufficiently for us to really go after Jesus yet. We have too many other loves that are calling after us. And we have too many other loves that we're giving our time and energy and money to. And until that changes at the prayer chapel, we're never going to be a prayer chapel. We can call ourselves a national prayer chapel, but why do we need to pray when we have lots of other loves that take care of us and comfort our hearts? We won't become the prayer chapel until Jesus alone has been chosen and he alone can comfort our hearts. And then it will become a life and death matter for us to pray and to cry aloud. Right now, we have far too much. We have too many interests. We have too many places that drain away our energy and our time and our money. I'm praying that God changes this in my heart and in your heart but I know this is a sovereign work that he's going to have to do in us. I've preached so hard in this place that people have gotten mad and left. I can't preach sufficiently to bring this change in your hearts. This is a change that must come from the Holy Spirit. This is a work of plowing that must be done by the Holy Spirit. But I pray today you recognize the truth of what I'm saying to you and to us. I'm saying it to me as well. I pray you recognize the truth of what I'm saying. And this week, begin to take very seriously. Examining carefully your life to see where your time and energy and money are flowing other than to Jesus Christ. Everything must flow to him. We must give up all ownership of time and money, of loves. We give everything over to Jesus, and then he will flow where he chooses with that. And he will direct our path and order our steps. But there is a seriousness that is missing in our hearts. There is a depth, an excitement. And aliveness that is missing from our hearts. There's an obedience that is missing from our lives. Know that if you are struggling with specific temptations, it is because you have not yet sufficiently done the heart work that Jesus wants to do in you. Ask him to do the work. Ask him to plow your heart. Ask him to do the work of changing you and changing us. Please don't just pray for yourself. Pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for our listening audience. I know why this room is not jammed with people today. Because the hearts of the listeners on the radio have not been sufficiently plowed They're not sufficiently concerned yet about their salvation. But if they come and they join us, will we just be another congregation? Dull of mind and heart? I don't want that. I don't believe you want that. So I ask, please, this week, examine your heart. See where your life energy is being drained away from Jesus and begin to confess that and repent and ask him to do that deep work of plowing. Lord Jesus, this is a work that only you can do as we submit to you, as we recognize the desperate Desperate condition of our hearts. The slowness and the laziness. The hardness. Lord, come and show us. Give us a new revelation, Jesus, of your glory. Of your mercy, of your might. Of your holiness. Of your righteousness. Lord, thank you. Quicken us by your spirit. Jesus, quicken Quicken us by your Spirit. pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or
0: visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.